recording. Yeah, we're all recording. All right, because you said you messed up, so I wasn't sure if that meant, like, we had to restart. No, I just wasn't wasn't in sync. Gotcha. But here on the Hex Shrinkers podcast, we're never in sync because, screw that, we are all too uh, bullheaded to even try. Oh, yeah, you're asking, what is the Hex Shrinkers podcast? Well, of course, it's this weekly uh, Magic the Gathering podcast where we, uh, a long-time playgroup, journey the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and every now and then we level up yours as well. Uh, I'm Julian. I'm joined by my co-host, Eric. Hello! Oak. Hey. And Chev. Yup. And uh, normally this is where I, where I say that we're a long-time playgroup, blah, 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 but I already said that. So whatever. Boys, we're back. No one ever thought that we could do it, but we're actually going to do two bullshit beer-drinking podcasts in a row. Last week we did the uh, the ban list, and now we're, we're bringing it back to the most chill of picks. The second most chill. The second? <laughs> it's, not as, it's not as chill as the first one? I think it's equally chill. I think it's very chill. Uh, there, there are some fiery picks in here um, that might raise the chill meter to lukewarm. Um, but we'll, I was we'll going to say, Julian might have chilled us off too much. We- no, I think, he's, <laughs> I think he's firing it up. Because these are going to be some hot takes. Julian, They're hot, hot takes, takes but he's pulling them out of the freezer. It's a paradox. <laughs> these are microwave takes. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Yeah, catch me with my hot pockets. All right, so we'll see if the sequel can uh, match... But before we, we get into these these microwave picks of Julian's, uh, we, we definitely want to provide a special shout out for a patron who's been with us from the beginning. Um, he has recently graduated from Hex Drinker tier to Hex Guzzler, uh, giving us the max donation per, per pod, which is honestly amazing. You know, it's it makes a lot of this possible. So we want to give a huge, huge shout out to uh, Magnus. And um, everyone else who might be listening, if you're thinking about joining our Patreon, it only can make our con- content better. And it can only increase your quality of life because we got tons of sick rewards on there. You get cool stuff. Anyway, Julian. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's coming fresh out of the freezer, right into the microwave, onto our plate? I think I think first I should just, I'll give our audience a little, little breakdown of what they might be hearing in the show. Just, just in case this is the first time they're listening to us. And God forbid it is. I'm so sorry because you... You picked the wrong episode to start. Uh, But yeah, so this podcast is basically just an excuse for us to talk about cards that we like, we think should see more play, cards that we are advocating for, uh, specifically in the commander format. So we have a few categories that uh, we're breaking them down. These are pet cards. So anything that you're starting to build a deck, uh, if it's in the bright colors, you are immediately going to try and slot this this card into that deck. Uh, Things like budget swaps. Chev's go-to example is can't afford an exploration. It's almost 20 bucks. Why don't you spend $2, get yourself a guy's touch. Uh, Hidden tech. So things that are very archetype specific. uh, So they might not get as much sort of recognition, um, but are cards that definitely should be considered, especially if you like that certain type of archetype. Thematic wins. So if you're going for any sort of of Vorthosy theme deck, uh, these are things that are are must-includes. And of course, the uh, the classic wildcard category of this card just slaps, and therefore we want to talk about it. And uh, the first card that I want to talk about <laughs> arguably is just in the slaps category, as in I want to talk about it, but I think it actually can fit into a bunch of these categories, and that's Possessed Portal. So, for those of y'all who don't know, oh, y- y'all don't know Possessed Portal? Let me, <laughs> for good let, reason. Let me, let me learn you. All right. So this is this is an artifact. So it's a colorless artifact. So already it can go in every single deck. So I don't know why it's only seeing play in 832 decks. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly 68,000 decks on edhrec.com. It is only in 832. Absolute blasphemy. Disgusting. So it is an eight mana artifact. So a little expensive, but listen, there's ways to ramp in every single color. You can get there. Uh, yeah, this artifact says if a player would draw a card, that player skips that draw instead. Mm, off to a great start. Um, and then at the end of each turn, each player sacrifices a permanent unless he or she discards a card from his or her hand. So, first off, I'm not saying that this card is going to win you any friends, because stacks pieces generally don't do that. But, I think this is an interesting card. I think it's a very cool card to build around in terms of, uh, like most stacks pieces, even though they're not fun, they always present an interesting deck building challenge in terms of how do I optimize my deck so that these pieces are disadvantaging my opponents while either advantaging me or at least leaving me neutral to inch ahead of them. And Possessed Portal, I think, does that in a very non-oppressive way as opposed to a lot of the standard stacks pieces, things like Thorn of Amethyst, uh, Static Orb, Winter Orb, Smoke Stack, all of these things that either keep you tapped down or restrict the amount of permanence that you can have. Obviously, it's 8 mana, and uh, you can do things like discard cards and um, eventually... 
you, the player playing Possessed Portal, might have to uh, sacrifice sacrifice it instead. But I, I really like the deck building challenge that it presents from a stacks point of view because I think that stacks can be can be done right, even though it's very much generally done wrong, especially in, in a format that's so based on the multiplayer aspect and the kind of interpersonal aspect. But if you wanted to step into stacks, Possessed Portal is uh, not only just better in terms of it's less offensive, but it's also a budget option. It's a, it's only going to run you about $3 as opposed to however much smokestacks cost, which I don't know, but that's an old card from like Urza Saga, so I'm, I'm assuming it's a bunch. I think it's around 20s because it got one reprint in from the vault, but uh, yeah, really Yeah, a, b- a bunch of those cards are just expensive, especially since they see play in like Legacy and, and Vintage. You don't have so, that problem with Possessed Portal. <laughs> exactly. Three, three I wouldn't even pay a dollar for Possessed Portal. $3 like, <laughs> is actually really good for a rare from... Uh, Dark Steel, or, or I, 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 I'm actually I'm not dawn. sure. No, it no, might be Fifth, fifth Dawn. dawn. It's, it's either Dark Steel or Fifth Dawn. But anyway, a lot of those cards from original Mirrodin, Mirrodin block are very hard to come by, and especially a lot of those rares are just weirdly expensive. So three bucks for that seems uh, pretty cheap. Anyway, Possess Portal. The guys have been rolling their eyes at me this whole time. I'm talking about. I still like the card. Uh, if you want like baby's first stacks piece, uh, this is this is your uh, this is your one to go. All right, I'm I'm off my pedestal. Seems more like a gateway drug into stacks. <laughs> it's like, oh, I played the portal, now I gotta have more. <laughs> I feel like Possessed Portal is kind of like what you use to get scared straight. Like, you have someone who's interested in stacks, so you show them this card. They wait until turn eight to play this card, and they instantly become arch enemy number one as everyone desperately tries to find artifact removal without drawing cards. And everyone <laughs> hates you. Like, I think this is the way you try it, and you're like, wait. The way that I can... We kind of talked a little bit before the pod. Oakley was mentioning particular Planeswalker effects that could hypothetically, you know, look through the top cards. You use different effects like search, take the top card from your library, put it into your hand. Things that exclude the word draw. And that's kind of cool, but there aren't enough effects to really, in my mind, make this make sense. So I would recommend Possess Portal if you're trying to stop the person who is playing control mostly from getting any further into stacks. I think it's a great way to convince them not to play it. <laughs> One of the prime ways to to leverage Possessed Portal is with uh, everybody's favorite Turgrid. And uh, that, <laughs> that that combination will certainly not not get you anything. No, that's that's how you get like old school cartooned thrown out of a shop on your ass. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Actually, Julian, I think you have another card on here that would work really well in a deck with Possessed Portal. Can you tell which one it is? <laughs> uh... Before we get to that, I just want to say a little <laughs> more about Possessed Portal. I mostly just want to talk about the fact that I think that, yes, it is a cheap monetary stacks piece, but I do think that it's not a good entry point into stacks as a mechanism because it's kind of singular in its effect. A lot of the things that prevent players from drawing uh, with Hull Breacher, with Leovold, have been removed, so you can't really build a consistent plan around this. If this gets removed, you're going to have to default to other things for your stacks plan. I think this is an interesting card, for sure, and definitely more people should know about it. I'm quite certain that more than 800 decks could make use of it, but I just... I don't know! Is you always the, play uh, Narts, eh? <laughs> Listen, I might, I might have to now at least brew a deck that utilizes this. I'm not oh, no. saying that I'm ever going to play it. I'm not ever going to bring it to game night. I know that's the thing. I was afraid of being too, too negative on it because that'll just make Julian's, uh, well, screw you guys, sensor tingle. My like, I, I want to solve the Rubik's cube now. You know. Mm-hmm. Also, I, last thing about Possessed Portal, the art is sick. It gives me the like very cool. old school, like late uh, '80s, early '90s metal uh, album cover art vibes. Yes, very much so. I, I do have some questions about how does a portal become possessed? Like, did you change the destination of the portal and now you're going to hell as opposed to some nice place? Or did a ghost come along and just kind of, like, possess it the old-fashioned way? Look at the ghost face in the portal. Clearly there is a ghost in oh, that Oh, yeah, portal. you're right. There is a weird little there's, face there's in there. There's three. There's three of them. There's three. Go- oh, look at him go. Someone, <laughs> someone who's listening who knows the, the story of the original Mirrodin block, tell us if Possessed Portal has any relationship to what actually goes down. Because with three faces, that feels like a thing. Let's move on to another card that isn't Possessed Portal. I'll, I'll jump in here. Uh, so for the last set of chill picks, I, my theme was, you know, back to basics. Great card. We want, and not basic lands. That's, everyone should have a couple of those, as Eric found out uh, last week with an early game Blood Moon against Fuck a five-color deck. Uh, but <laughs> it was about the, you know, card draw, ramp, and those kind of things. So I, I like themes a little too much. Um, my theme for this week is... Artifacts or artifact adjacent. 
and kind of playing off Possessed Portal being an artifact, I'll, I'll introduce my artifact, which is Cloud Key. Recently got reprinted in both The List, I think, or Mystery Booster, whichever one, Planeswalker Symbol and Corner, doesn't matter, um, and Time Spiral Remastered. It's a three-mana artifact, and as it comes into play, choose Artifact, Creature, Enchantment, Instant, or Sorcery. Spells you play of the chosen type cost one less to cast. So, this is great, right? Like, you have any deck that cares about a particular type of card, uh, already you're getting everything for one less. But I see this playing into the slaps category and the budget swaps, because another thing we learned while Eric was championing, I believe, his Legends deck, which is mono green, um, in our last game night, Emerald Medallion. Uh, two mana, all green spells cost one less. This is part of a cycle, I believe, from Tempest that got reprinted in Commander 2014, with the green one being reprinted in Commander Anthology. They're really, really good. They're two mana. All spells of a given color cost one less. That's so much better than, you know, tapping for a green or something because it piles on each time. The medallion, Emerald Medallion, is $10, and that is the cheapest by far, with most of them being around the $30 to $40 range. Cloud Key is $4. So not only is it less restrictive in terms of color, it... Yes, you have to pick a type, but most decks you're going to be able to benefit from this, probably as long as it's not a monocolor deck. Also, you're able to slot it into more decks specifically. So if you bought an Emerald Medallion and now you're brewing a mono red, you can't really contribute the Emerald Medallion or that cost sunk cost to that new deck. But Cloud Key works for any deck because it's completely colorless and you pick the type upon entry, it doesn't have it going in. Um, another great thing, it's better... Much cheaper than Urza's Saga, or not Urza's Saga, Urza's Incubator. Incubator. Um, mm. Three mana, choose a creature type, two less. A little bigger benefit, but also not restrictive to creature type. So this is something I think can literally go in any deck, but obviously is going to be more important in decks that have high converted mana cost as a theme, or decks that have a higher of a specific type of card like enchantment decks or artifact decks. It's just, it's a win-win, and it's it's really cheap right now and worth picking up. I also do feel the need to unfortunately throw out there, if you have a Cloud Key and a Sensei's Divining Top and anything that lets you play artifacts or any kind of card off the top, <laughs> you draw your deck. <laughs> it's very cool. Hmm. <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm just yes. trying to find my Possessed Portal, that's it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're on the hunt. through until I can play Possessed Portal for seven. <laughs> and, yeah, I was going to say it only costs seven this time. <laughs> but what I will say is that uh, I agree with Jeff entirely. The comparison to the medallions is great. You're going to play this for three, and you're going to be like, this is three mana mana rock for, like, one. It's okay. And then as soon as you cast two creatures or two instants or two sorceries in one turn, you're going to be like, oh, no, this is stupid. It's, it's actually very crucial uh, to be able to double spell so that you can flip it from night back to day. I think that's just, that's the real win of the fact that you can play Cloud Key. <laughs> werewolf say no um actually never mind this card's terrible don't play it uh I, I, another i think the one of the best comparisons too is if you started playing recently you probably saw the monument cycle from amonkhet which was creatures of a particular color cost one less and they have an additional ability but that sort of cost reducer is an effect we see very minimally and that's something that i know a lot of people kind of latched onto in that set and this is just more generic in terms of Again, multicolored decks, this is going to be a much better investment overall. Honorable mention from the entire cast, not just any one person, the Monument Cycle. Mm -hmm. All those have good effects and you should be playing them. And some of them you should be playing even in decks that don't necessarily uh, give you that reduction just because they have excellent uh, cast trigger triggers. Yeah, Cloud Key, $4. You need more of a budget? Go the Monument Cycle. I think those are like probably sub 20 cents. So just pick your colors and uh, run with it. I, I think the white one makes tokens, which could be beneficial. White one makes tokens. One one soldiers. I think. Yeah, red one loots. Uh, black one drains. They're all they're all very serviceable. They're all solid. Once again, especially if you're not playing competitive or if you're playing like seven below, I think they're very, all very reasonable. Yeah, I'd love to talk about seven and below because I think way more decks in at that level should be running ancient excavation. Oh. Ancient Excavation is two, a blue, and a black. Draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand, then discard a card for each card drawn this way. Basically, land cycling, two. So, to start with, it's just a modal card. If you draw it and you don't need it, you can turn it into a basic land. And you can do that in Dimir, which is a color that isn't great at ramping outside of artifacts. So, if you just, if you just need one more land, you can go get that. And I think that is baseline, just a good thing to have on a card. 
especially as you sort of drift lower in power level. Uh, this card's only in 4,000 decks, and I, I just think it deserves more respect than that. Obviously, it kind of falls off at the tip-top level of play, but it's just amazing card selection. And also, even beyond card selection, it's great at filling your graveyard. Whether you're running this in a deck with red or just in, uh, like, Dimir or anything, uh, and you have the ability to bring back spells with things like Past and Flames, or if you're just running a pure reanimator package, this card is great at let me double the size of my hand really quickly, pick exactly what I want to hold, what I want in the graveyard, or what I don't need, and then work from there. It's not too expensive, and it's just... It's a really manageable, flexible card. Especially with the influx of uh, zombie decks we've seen, specifically with Midnight Hunt. Mm. A lot of zombie staples have gone way up, and zombies, obviously dead creatures, are going to use the graveyard. This would be a perfect addition to that deck, especially the new zombie pre-con um, that you can get at your local game store now. Uh, Ancient Excavation actually came out in a Commander product. It is built for this format. The whole cycle of those cards is really great. I know uh, Oakley has talked about prior... The red-green version, Treacherous Terrain, um, deal damage to opponents equals the number of non-basics they control. Uh, that, no, straight that up just has, lands. Has been pretty <laughs> pretty yeah, yeah. Uh, intense. It's, it's just lands, Jeff. Yeah. We, oh, we mess this lands. up every time, it's just lands. <laughs> Never mind. I literally was re-listening to our first Chill Picks today, because I was like, oh, how do we like structure this? Like, What did we talk about? Blah, blah, blah. And I remember you saying that. And then Oak was like, nah, bruh, it's all your lands. I like to make sure Oakley remembers each time. <laughs> I remember, um, I think one of Julian's old chill picks was Sylvan Reclamation, which was another part of that cycle. Oh, yeah, the true. Basic yeah. land cycling. Um, I, I do have, although, uh, a card here that deals damage equal to the number of non-basic lands. <laughs> oh. oh, no. Very specific type, no doubt. Well, one of my um, picks for this one is uh, actually Price of Progress. Um, if you play, like, I don't know, Legacy, maybe you know about this card. But uh, it turns out this card, which is one in a red, instant... Uh, only one in a red, mind you. Uh, Price of Progress deals damage to each player equal to twice the number of non-basic lands that player controls. So it's like a double uh, of Excavation, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> For two mana? I don't know. <laughs> um, but anyways, this card is just, besides being very good in Legacy, which plays like, you know, all dual lands, um, people in EDH play a lot of non-basic lands. Even in, like, monocolored decks, you play in, like, a ton of utility lands. Um, just thinking, like, all the ones I shoved into my first mono-red deck and all the ones Chev's runs in Toshiro. Um, <laughs> Cabal Coffers. <laughs> Thank you for the nightmares there. Get them. So, even against decks like that, this is going to be two mana deal, like, I don't know, eight damage to each player and it includes you but um you know <laughs> hopefully maybe you're not running this in like a three plus color deck where you'd need a ton of non-base clans yeah definitely um, better the, the fewer colors <laughs> let's be real oak the only deck you're running this is mono red and you just have like six snow-covered mountains and that's it. <laughs> or the uh the new boros commander from midnight hunt who prevents damage that would be dealt to you by spells oh yeah I well, that, that too yeah that spicy right. yep I was I was thinking this in a uh, a Rakdos build, the guy who makes spells cost X less for uh, the damage you've dealt opponents this turn. Oh, that's drop a price good. of progress, drop yep. an Eldrazi Titan, or um, <laughs> your favorite possessed portal. Why does everything always come back to Eldrazi with you? I <laughs> added your we dumb go portal one? in there too. Well, now you got me thinking we should do this with Neheb and really just get some mana going. <laughs> oh yeah, God. I think I first originally saw this in. Like Eric's um, pseudo CEDH, like Sarkara build. And I was mm. like, oh, that's good. Because I, like, Eric was playing it, and I was just like, if I was up against the Ur Dragon right now casting that, that's that's <laughs> one greedy mana base <laughs> if I've ever seen it's one. Lethal. As lethal. As Blood Moon has proven to us recently. <laughs> um, Freaking Eric can't catch a break. He gets locked out with Blood Moon, and then you're just like, here, why don't you take 20 right to the face? I know, right? For two mana. And then, like. they're not even basics. <laughs> you, know, you you can just. Play, um, you know, you got Ardent Elementalist in uh, the most recent Innistrad set. So even if you are in Mono Red, you just slap an Ardent Elementalist. You just like, we get that back real quick. Cast it again. <laughs> That's 40 damage. Get him. Um, but yeah, I think I think just, uh, it, again, you probably don't want to run this in like a three plus color deck. 
But um, if you're playing a deck that yourself you yourself are not running a ton of non-basic lands, this can be um, just a really blowout card uh, against a lot of decks. Oka, I couldn't help but notice that you're actually running multiple burn spells in your list. How bold of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Julian, since since you insist, I'll talk about another card. <laughs> um, I, uh, I might have said that you're playing uh, just only snow-covered mountains for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so th- this one, this spell is, uh, doesn't happen to be a burn spell per se, unless you're running, like, um, you know, a Stuffy Doll or a Brash Taunter. This pick is, uh, the one-mana instant classic in Modern, which, and sometimes Legacy, uh, which I feel like I might have talked about before. Anyways, the name of the card is Scred, <laughs> um, and it deals damage to target creature equal to the number of snow permanents you control. So again, uh, this is not the type of card you want to be running in probably like a three-color deck, or four or five color for that matter. Stick to one or two colors, one of which is red. And um, <laughs> that it, is, you key. know, it it cannot be an Azorius deck for you to yes. run this one red card. <laughs> also, also key is. That you again, well, yeah, again, must run a lot of snow permanents, um, most of which are going to be lands. D- yeah, you just want to stick to a deck where you have a lot of basics. Same as Price of Frogger. Well, I didn't even plan that. I just they, they're kind of themed together. My last one's not really themed, but whatever. Your last one kind of is. We'll we'll get there, but yeah, okay, okay, yeah, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, keep in mind with this spell that even though it's not like. A lot, I feel like a lot of people look at this and they're just like, oh, that's not Path, that's not Swords of the Polishers. But it is one mana, it's an instant, and most of the time it's going to kill what you want. And I, I guess especially if you're playing like red-green where you just like have a ton of lands, it'll, it'll get you there. Um, although, again, keep in mind that it's a number of snow permanents you control, not just snow lands. So if you happen to have any snow creatures, or maybe like uh, Icy Manolith, or Seven... Yeah, then, well, well, I was going to say, also in that game that I had seven Icy Mantelists, I also popped my uh, Replicating Ring, so I had eight Replicating yeah. Rings. Yep. yep. <laughs> I think this really does well, especially in allied color pairs. Like, if you're doing green-red, this is amazing, because not only is there the cycle of dual lands from Call Time, that is all colors and a snow permanent, there's also Into the North, which fetches uh, snow-covered land. And from the original snow set, there is dual colored snow lands for the allied colors. Mm. So that's another way to kind of get that bridge from the two colors and still have a count towards snow permanent. And of course, there, like Julian mentioned, there are snow mana rocks, other snow creatures. Cold Steel Heart. Yep. So, Julian, I'd like to loop back to the card I mentioned before that went good with Possessed Portal on your list. Have you figured it out now? <laughs> no. Come on! <laughs> My boy, it's the one you said was the best of the cycle. No, no, not that. <laughs> Alright, well, I guess it's the other one then. Julian, <laughs> if you're not running, if you don't want to draw cards, but you want card advantage, what card do you play? Oh, I see you. I see you. <laughs> I see you. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, let me tell you, if there's one thing that you want to do when you want to beat the homies, it's you play cards that have been banned in standard. That's what. <laughs> Specifically, you play Escape to the Wilds, because that shit slaps. Uh, Escape to the Wilds is a sorcery for three red and a green. Exile the top five cards of your library. You may play cards exiled this way until the end of your next turn. So you get two full turns uh, to play them. So if you only have five mana, you can slam this thing, and the next turn you'll have your full turn to kind of you know mess around. And then you may also play an additional land this turn, which is just an extra cherry on top because it's, it's green. And if you guys haven't played Stan in the last two years oh boy let me tell you anyway escape to the wilds i said this in our last one when i was mentioning uh outpost siege you can't sleep on getting your card advantage in the way that your color of choice does it best in this case that is red red does this exile x amount of cards from the top you can play them either this turn or until the end of your next turn but that's basically just like draw five cards and then the cards that you didn't need whatever fuck them you know, they're they're out of here. You're just going to draw other better cards from the top of your deck instead of having to go through those. And the ones that you do need, you can just play and you're good to go. It sort of ramps you because you can play an additional land. And, uh, of course, obviously, if you're playing Possessed Portal, this gets around that 
that draw sort of thing. So if you do want to make a possessed portal deck, definitely play those cards like Outpost Siege and stuff. But we meme on, well, mostly I meme on green all the time that green can do whatever it wants. And there are plenty of cards in green that say straight up draw cards, but like still escape to the wilds, especially for like a gruel deck. If you're doing gruel things um, and you played all your creatures out, especially if you get like wrath or something, this is a great way to like immediately just recoup a bunch of value, uh, get a bunch of stuff back out and just keep the, the gravy train rolling. Because I know, there's one thing people like, it's smashing with their gruel deck, so might as well just be able to do that for more and longer. So yeah, play Escape to the Wilds. I mean, it, it was banned in standard for a reason, because it's really freaking good, okay? <laughs> so play the card. I'm always surprised that this card is that good. It's super good. Also, I don't have an immediate budget comparison, but this card is only a dollar, so... Got banned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 that'll help. <laughs> something, uh, something that popped into my mind, unfortunately, about Possess Portal, um, I was looking at the top commanders of this year that are being played and wizards has been doing a lot to try and break the mold on what certain color pairs can do so for red white that has been caring more about other things through lore hold like artifacts in general ways uh, just non-combat things and rakdos has been a lot of impulse draw specifically prosper from one of the uh adventures in the forgotten realms commander precons mm -hmm. possessed portal would be pretty good in that and i am upset that it is, but Prosper, uh, one of the abilities is exile the top card of your library at the end of your turn, and you have until the end of your next turn to play it. So you continuously get the card advantage. Thinking more of, like Julian said, with Escape to the Wilds, there's a lot of red effects recently that care about this impulse draw, which is exiling them, and then you can cast them, which is very different than draw, and allows you to kind of use that around your possessed board. Chev, I don't want you to put it in that deck, but also... Every time you cast a card from exile, Prosper gives you a treasure, which you then can use as the sacrifice for Possessed Portal. So it pays for itself, <laughs> oh, and uh, that's heinous. I, I'm not sure I'll be doing Prosper unless we're playing in paper anytime soon, just because it's too many um, on-field things to care about on a online platform. Uh, but it is something to consider. Why don't you care about something like your second pick? Because we're, we're, we're already doing horrible things to the time limit. <laughs> Horrible things. All right, second pick. Um, if you, if hypothetically your opponent has a possessed portal and you have 10 mana to spare. Jesus Christ. Thieving Skydiver is for you. So this card has been, I, I've added to the decks I can. Thieving Skydiver is a 2-1 for 2 from Zendikar Rising uh, with Kicker X. And X can't be zero. Flying, uh, when Thieving Skydiver enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, gain control of target artifact with a converted mana cost X or less. If that artifact is an equipment, attach it to Thieving Skydiver. So most of the time, this is going to be great for stealing things like a Soul Ring, a Mana Rock, a Lightning Greaves, these base pieces that a lot of people have in their decks that you're going to be infinitely better for having two of. This also gets around things like Indestructible. Um, I'm not sure when this could come into play, but it allows you to steal. When something is stolen, you know, it's not destroyed. So you can see it as kind of removal of a, a key piece of your opponent's plan, think maybe a Darksteel Forge. Um, that's a big mana investment, <laughs> but you can still get rid of it and you don't need to worry about it being destroyed and indestructible, etc., etc. Also keep a note that this is any artifact. So you could run this against a creature if someone has a, a Solemn out or a uh, Worm Coil Engine, anything like that, you can still take it. And it's just a really good value piece for taking advantage of some of these low-cost objects, obviously. But it can scale with the game um, since it, it can grab anything. It's not like a kicker two, grab anything two or less, like we see on other other cards that have a similar sort of vibe. So Thieving Skydiver, great card. I think it's sub a dollar right now. Uh, the full art version is $1.29 when I was last looking. It steals a thing. It's super cheap, and it's worth running. I think the best thing for me is you just roll in you pay four mana, and you have one a a, a very easy chump blocker to to mm -hmm. one flyer. That's true. Yeah, flyer can can stop really anything. Or or th theoretically, if you're stealing some crazy equipment, you can just start getting in because it's got evasion. But like Ember the idea, <laughs> the oh, ooh, he, or, or a sword. Um, oh, the hammer. What what's the hammer called? Ooh. Oh yeah yeah that's that's that, only uh, one that's only one mana. <laughs> cost that the enormous hammer that gives like plus 10 plus 10 colossus he hammer. loses flying oh uh, so what mm. it's, still, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's still at 12 11 <laughs> anyway though i just i love the idea of so often swift foot boots and lightning greaves are like annoying but very key pieces in decks just being able to kind of just come in and just yoink that 
And not only do you now have protection for your creatures, but now someone's Tatiova is now, you know, ready to get lightning bolted. Uh, that's, <laughs> you know, I love it. It, it also, it, it, I think it's really worth noting that it doesn't say gain control of target artifact with converted mana cost X or less until Thieving Skydiver leaves. Yeah. No, no. It's yours you now. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time when we see like thieving effects or stuff like that, like Royal Elemental, it's like, okay, once you kill the creature that stole it, it's yours again. Wrong. Thieving Skydiver has taken it forever. Don't let your thieves be memes. Well said. It's been a while since we've been uh, we've hit up Eric, so let's let's see what else he's got. Yeah, I have no transition to either of my cards, so I'm just going to talk about the Selesnia one. That makes sense. That tracks. Yannick, Scavenging Sentinel, also from a Commander product. I've never heard of this card in my life. <laughs> Madness. Uh, partner with... Uh, this is from the Ikoria Commander product. Uh, this partners with uh, Nikara Lair Scavenger, but we don't really care about that right now. It's fine if you want to run this in Abzane, but you don't have to. It is a 4-mana, 2 in Selesnia Vigilance. When it enters the battlefield, exile another creature you control until Yannick leaves the battlefield. When you do, distribute X 1-1 counters among any number of target creatures you control, where X is the exiled creature's power. This works insanely well in 1-1 counter decks, and yet is only run in a thousand decks. 1-1 counter decks love to run things like hardened scales or any sort of like doubling season uh, style effect that doubles or increases the number of 1-1 counters that you put on when an effect like this happens. Additionally, a lot of 1-1 counter effects come as ETBs or LTBs or things like that. You know, Armor Craft Judge, draw cards as an ETB equal to the number of 1-1 counters. Chev has uh, a 1-1 counter deck built currently, and I do not, which is just a sin. Um, <laughs> and I think he can vouch that a lot of these effects happen on ETB and or would be good to blink in general. Seem reasonable, Chev? Yeah, specifically, um, so the deck to which Eric is referring to is a Hamza something 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 from Commander Legends. He gets one cheaper for each creature you control with a 1-1 counter, and creatures you cast cost one less for each creature you control with a 1-1 counter. So something like Yannick is perfect in that. I think some of the hesitation for in including Yannick is the, oh, I have to exile one of my own creatures. Base level, you're redistributing that creature's power across, you know, everything else you control. In Humza, that's amazing. Yeah, okay, one creature dies, but now there's the potential for X less for all of your creature spells. But it's also just a really good piece because of the things that Eric mentioned, like effects that when you would place one 1-1 one, one counter, you get one more. There's so many ways to kind of double up or triple up on the effect of getting rid of that initial creature and having the value spread across. And it's until Yannick leaves the battlefield. So True. Yannick yeah. leaves, the creature comes back, and you still have all the 1-1 one, one counters from that creature when Yannick entered. Like, Yannick with Conjurer's Closet is insane. <laughs> because Ooh, that is kind every of turn you're just like okay i'll take another full dose of those one one counters and if the creature you exiled with yannick has an etb as well you get that trigger in the middle too so flicker effects work super well with this it's just great in a, any one one counter build and if you do run black you get to run uh nikara lair scavenger who uh helps you out with card draw just whenever creatures leave the battlefield which is not something that's necessarily going to be integral to your plan, but is just sort of extra juice to just sort of pair up with Yannick. Let's not forget um, Teleportation Circle, which Ooh, yeah. uh, recently printed in the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Basically, Conjurer's Closet, but it costs one less and also a white. <laughs> mm. And can uh, flicker artifacts, too, as opposed to just creatures. But yeah, Yannick is running a criminal 1,000 decks. Not what? enough. That is kind of whack. That's kind of <laughs> whack. How much? How expensive is it? That's the real question. Forty-two cents. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's incorrect. <laughs> I think a lot of people just see Yannick as a commander to pair with Nikara, but I think it's really worth evaluating this outside of that. I think honestly, as a commander, it's not that good. I think it's excellent in the ninety-nine. Eric, the real question is why you don't currently have a well. One, I don't think you have a Selesnia deck at all. But why you don't have a Selesnia counters deck? That because I need to rebuild Marath. Are you are you too lazy or you just uh, just don't want to spend money? Uh, I don't want to spend money and I don't play Paper Magic as much as I like. If I played more Paper Magic, I would build more Paper Magic decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's legit. If only you were here for game night this week, where we're gonna play Paper Magic. 
game night this week was yesterday, and we didn't. Uh, we're also going to play tomorrow, though. Scumbags. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're going to play Paper Magic. Scumbags. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, for that, I'm, I'm taking another turn. Fuck you guys. Uh, <laughs> Do it. <laughs> the other card I'm talking about is Hellrider. I discovered this when going through the Wolfgar budget deck I made a little while ago. And I think it is a super cool card. Uh, it's four, uh, two and two red, haste, whatever a creature you control attacks. Hellrider deals one damage to the player or planeswalker it's attacking. And it's a 3-3. Three, three. So, if you think about this in comparison with Impact Tremors, it's worse. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but Impact Tremors is insane. Just generally thinking about it in terms of, if you're running a token deck, they're generally structured aggressively you generally don't care about all of the 1-1s you're making. And so just throwing your goblins or your sapperlings or your all of the tiny little trash creatures you're making, sure, they're great if they deal damage on ETB uh, with their your Perforos with your Impact Tremors, but if you're going to end up swinging with them, Hellrider also provides that same sort of benefit, and if any of them live to swing again, they end up doing even more damage. And so... The fact that this card has haste is reasonably well statted, and it just guarantees anything you swing with deals an additional damage. I think this is actually a very strong card in token decks. It's only running about 4,000 decks, and this is one of those cards that definitely needs more respect, but I don't know if it needs like like too much more respect. I think <laughs> it needs to be respected just for the fact that right, you're playing Hellrider, so you're in red, so you probably have ways to give your creatures haste. If you're playing Hellrider, you're probably playing some sort of go-wide slash token strategy. The ability for you to just make a bunch of tokens and then say, I'm going to combat, I'm declaring attackers, I would like you to now take 15 damage, I don't even care how you block, has to be respected. Yeah. You can just, mm -hmm. you can literally kill people out of nowhere. There's that, plus like throwing in a Torbran or, or one of the most recent red effects we've seen that are like you deal this damage plus one or plus two or that six mana zendikar spell that's you deal triple damage with red things mm. i mean the second you even add any sort of doubling effect to this because unlike impact tremors this could apply every single combat it's exponentially valuable in terms of if you're actually running a strategy that cares about this there's ways to make it very very painful for your opponent in the wolfgar deck i can definitely attest that sometimes you get a hell rider out early and, you know, maybe the Hellrider doesn't swing every turn because it's kind of key to keep it alive, but all your other creatures are going in because they're either big enough or unimportant enough, and just having them always get in for one extra or two extra if Wolfgar's out there, it adds up incredibly quickly. I'm just imagining the magical Christmas land of you're playing your red X or mono red deck, you have Impact Tremors out, or maybe, God forbid, you have even Perforos out. You know, you make a bunch of tokens, probably goblin tokens. They have haste, so you attack with them with Hellrider. You deal damage there, and then, depending on how your opponents block, you have goblin bombardment, so you sack them. So you get them on, <laughs> on the way in, in the act, and then on the way out. That's ridiculous. If you're running a Krenko deck and Hellrider is not in it, you are wrong. He's an honorary goblin. Yeah. He's just a, a, a mischievous goblin. He's he's an angry boy. He kind of looks like a goblin, like kind of twisted goblin. If you look at the art, where's where's Nick Cage at? Also, he he's riding on like a motorcycle or something. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Also, I just noticed that Rem Rem Calaris is referenced in his uh, thing, which I don't think had a card before this most recent set. I don't I don't think he did. Yeah, and Hell Hellrider's from OG in the so he's he's like ten years old. Anyway. Yeah. For real. I'm done now. <laughs> Julian, you I'm want to talk about your your final microwave special of the evening? <laughs> I don't know why y'all are mad. I think these are genuinely cards that people should play. I'm mostly just memeing up. I do think that recommending these on the whole is questionable. Recommending two <laughs> of these, much less questionable. All right. So, once again, of course, I have to cheat and theoretically recommend a whole cycle of cards. But I'm really only recommending, like, one, maybe two of them. But uh, I'm talking about the forces. <laughs> And no, I'm not talking about Force of Negation or Force of Vigor or any of that crap. We all know that those are good cards. I'm talking about uh, the big boys, uh, Celestial Force, Tidal Force, Baleful Force, Magmatic Force, and Verdant Force. So these are a cycle of creatures. They're all one for each color. They all cost five and then triple of whatever color. So they're all eight mana, and they're all seven sevens. So immediately, we're already failing the vanilla test. 
great. And they're already hard to cast. Excellent. They're already perfect. Slot, slot them in every deck. Uh, but they all have this thing where they all have a triggered ability that says at the beginning of each upkeep, do certain thing. Uh, I think the biggest thing for these is that you cannot underestimate the ability abilities that trigger on every person's turn when you're playing in a four or potentially five player game. Uh, the ability to rack up, you know, four or five triggers or whatever uh, on a turn cycle is huge. And a lot of these actually have pretty good abilities. Um, so the best one is by far Magmatic Force. That's the red one. Uh, at the beginning of each upkeep, it deals three damage to any target. So every upkeep, you get to Lightning Bolt something. Um, I actually play this in my Svela deck, and it just goes off, just fucking nukes everything. That's just a, an actually good card, um, even though it's an eight mana, seven, seven. There are ways to cheat it into play, or you can just get it out. I guess I should put a caveat that most of these cards you're probably not going to be playing in super tuned lists um, unless you can like cheat them out all really of them. early. All of them are not going in super tuned lists. Eight mana seven seven ETB do nothing. Just not not going to get there in a super tuned list. That's what I'm saying. It's hard because removal exists and you're playing against <laughs> you know three other people <laughs> dies who, to um, Doomblade who could have not baleful force bro um, <laughs> yeah yeah he's personally my second favorite baleful force he's the black one he says at the beginning of each upkeep uh draw a card and lose a life so he's a steroided up phyrexian arena that's also a very good card i i did play that one point but I, I no longer play it so yeah i think caveat these are all things that you're going to play in slightly lower power um decks but honestly i think that a majority of commander players are playing at that slightly lower power i think we're actually in the minority in terms of people who are playing at decks that are seven plus really so I don't know, but these are all great. These are all good cards. Uh, Verdant Force was actually, I think, is probably the third best one. This was actually printed in like alpha or beta or something. Yeah, and I think it's one of the kind like, of... inspirations for the cycle because most of the cycle came from Commander decks. Yes, uh, Commander uh, 2013 and 2014, I believe, is when they they filled these out. But Verdant Force uh, gives you a one-one green Sapperling creature uh, token on each upkeep which is great especially if you're in a, a, a token deck then you have title force the blue one which taps or untaps target permanent on each upkeep and then the celestial force is the white one um and that gains you three life on each upkeep which i have to say y'all i mean we always meme about white because white is just wizards hates white cards for some reason but if this thing lives being able to gain 12 life in a turn cycle is not negligible that's a, a huge amount of life also you know triggering I mean? life gain abilities with each upkeep. So not only are you tr gaining 12 life, but if you have the the new AFR legend that uh, whenever you gain life, scry one, put a 1-1 one, one counter on them. This is going to do that four times. So any yeah. of those things, Heliod, uh, put the new Heliod, put a 1-1 one, one counter on something. Like all those things too, it's not just all at once. You get to benefit from it four times. Yes, anything that carries about multiple triggers like that um, is great. These are all... Very reasonable cards. Obviously, of course, this is assuming that you're going in raw and just playing them on turn eight or whenever you have the eight mana. If you can play them and immediately hit them with a lightning greaves or have any sort of counterspell backup, they definitely stack up. Uh, Chev and I were talking about earlier today because he built a deck that had that was a paradox haze deck, so you get multiple upkeeps and all that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. if you have anything like that, then it gets crazy. I think the biggest thing is just don't sleep on cards that trigger on everyone's turn. Uh, not just your own. Plus, also, even though these are eight mana seven sevens, seven sevens block like brick wall, like basically <laughs> the entire format. You know what I mean? Like, unless Chev comes through with his Eldrazi deck, this is gonna stonewall most things for a reasonable amount of time. So, unless Chev shows up to your LGS with his Eldrazi deck, which you, you only know, have to worry happen. about the Chev, <laughs> the planeswalking Chev, You're shows up in East Kansas. <laughs> with his Eldrazi ready to throw down. Or Denmark, <laughs> probably more specifically. Chev, I need you to rent like a VW bus and just like freaking uh, road trip across Chev's the Eldrazi. country. Just go, <laughs> just go play at like every LGS you could find. Just like, what's up, boys? You got to paint it like the Eldrazi, though. They're like, oh, I listened to the Hextrickers podcast. I was prepared for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say none of these have flying so or reach. Which makes it mm. blocking everything a little a little tougher. But well, no. To Julian's point, they block like brick walls. The wall is not in the air; it is very much on the ground. <laughs> Absolutely, that's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, Eric. They would be too good if they had keywords on them. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but I do want to say I think I've been overly harsh on these cards. I've mostly been memeing on them. I think that they are entirely playable, especially if you're, you know, in one of those playgroups. I. I know they're out there because I, I have read about them 
where people are like, <laughs> I play in this playgroup. And I'm like, that's insane. We're like, removal is discouraged. Um, yeah. And things weird. like that. <laughs> the weird land. We're not here to tell you how to play, but strongly consider adding removal to your format if it's not there. Without any sort of... Um, uh, Transition? I can't even think of the word. Uh, the, the switching from one thing to another. Segway? Transition. Segway. Segway. Words, English. Never heard of them. First language, still don't know it. Um, without any sort of segue, Liquid Metal Torque uh, should see play in more decks than any of these forces. We memed on the forces. They're fine. Liquid Metal Torque should go in almost every deck it can. And that's... It's it's strong, but for a two-mana mana rock, taps for colorless, it's probably up against Mindstone, um, Arcane Signet, and the like. But what Liquid Metal Torque allows you to do is the second effect. I, I believe I was drawing on this in the Modern Horizons 2 Prime Picks. Target non-land permanent becomes an artifact in addition to its other types until end of turn. And that might seem kind of cute. It's probably a callback to Liquid Metal Coding, which I think is two mana, um, make something an artifact until end of turn. But this, you know, taps for that so it can do it whenever and for a mana. But what this really allows you to do is get anything with your artifact removal spells. And that's like, you have a Croson Grip in hand and there's a creature that's causing problems. This could be incredibly frustrating. One of the things that happened in a game that we were playing as a playgroup was I had a Decimate in hand and no one had an artifact. And that's problematic because the way Decimate is worded as opposed to Casualties of War is you need an enchantment, a creature, an artifact, and a land all as viable targets. Now, is Decimate the greatest card? No. But there are other situations where you could end up with solely artifact or enchantment removal and something that isn't an artifact or enchantment to deal with. And Liquid Metal Torque allows you to kind of grease the wheels a little bit. Uh, there's also the thought that, you know, someone is running mass artifact removal, and you can take something out while everything else is being destroyed. Of course, don't forget that Vandal Blast is destroy every artifact that the caster doesn't control. So don't try to do an FU to the uh, person who cast the Vandal Blast commander, because that won't work too well in your favor, as Oakley pointed out. But if some so, third guy... Is going yeah, some off. third guy's causing problems. Um, it's it's great. So it's really, it's really something that kind of greases the wheels of your removal package and can come in handy way more times than you think. It also works really well with my previous pick of thieving skydiver. Remember that guy? Steal any inch, uh, artifact that someone controls. Their commander's now an artifact. You control it, or <laughs> their problematic planeswalker, their land, whatever you want, or not land, target non land, um, anything you want, really. You can take because of this card. So the synergy is there. I run it in Oakhound and Zinder Split. Um, I'll probably run it in other things going forward. I ran it in Eldrazi. It's just a really solid piece. Jeff, you mentioned Vandal Blast, so like, of course, I was to started thinking about Mono Red. Um, I want to say like you said this card. Oops, shit. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you said this card. <laughs> you said this card is good in, in any color deck, which it really is, because you know you could turn artifact removal into anything removal. But some colors just aren't as fortunate as <laughs> others, and don't happen to really have any enchantment removal. And that's pretty much blue, black, and red um, that don't have have little to no enchantment removal. Of course, black doesn't really have like that much artifact removal either, but. Um, if you're running any deck that doesn't have green or white, I feel like this is just a great card because it turns your artifact removal into anything removal. And so, mono red, even like red blue now, because blue's got some artifact removal spells, or just mono blue. Yeah, you pair this with blue, that is exile artifact removal. So, it's no source to plowshares, but I will give someone a 1-1 bird anytime in replacing a lot of things. Or, if you want to throw this in a, something like green... Then you can start and gripping people's creatures at split second and really start getting up to some stuff. That's true, because green can really only deal with artifacts. But it deals with them so... Well, it, it also it deals with a lot of things. Let's not undersell green as someone who likes to downplay that green is <laughs> insane. Green can deal with a lot, but it deals with artifacts especially well. Yeah, it just makes it even easier because you're likely to have three or four artifact destruction spells. So now those can just function as destroy pretty much anything spells. Oh, God forbid you can figure out you can do some shenanigans to tap untap this. Now you can turn multiple things into artifacts. Voltaic key. <laughs> now I'm trying to picture a deck where you win with the dragon that counts if you have 20 artifacts. 
and like you just tap and untap this during your upkeep a bunch and turn your entire board into artifacts and you're like, ah, oh, look at that, I did it. Just play Mike Mickison. <laughs> yeah, that's Mickison. No, 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 no. This is way cooler. All right, so um, I got one more. Take us home, Oak. <laughs> Um, this roads. is probably, unfortunately, the most expensive card on this list, but... At seven think... whole dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's still uh, criminally underrated, if you ask me. This is a Weathered Wayfarer. It is one white mana for a 1-1 one, one human nomad cleric with a single ability. Uh, tap it and a white. Search your library for a land card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Play this ability only if an opponent controls more lands than you. I'll tell you why this card is underrated. Because yeah. <laughs> it's a white card. No one wants exactly. to play those. <laughs> exactly. I wanted, I wanted to transition this off Celestial Force, but it doesn't matter. Um, so, this card... Um, well, I, first of all, I think it's underrated because people are just like, oh, get a land out of your library into your hand. Like, into your hand, really? They're so People are spoiled these days by Green's ability to just get cards and put it directly onto the battlefield from your library. But this card, if you uh, read the fine print, you can actually get any kind of land, not just basic lands, like Green is so famous for. So if your land happens to tap for two mana, like a Temple of the False Gods, or Ancient Tomb, or you just happen to have a busted land combo in your deck, like Cabal Coffers and Urborg, uh, then this card can be a real, real help uh, in getting that. Plus, this sort of falls into this, like, technically a draw spell in white, I feel like, type effect, where it's kind of like land tax or like endless horizons, which are both also great cards, by the way. Uh, because it pulls a card out of your deck that you probably want to draw earlier rather than later. Because, uh, you you know, you want to hit those land drops early um, and then draw the big stuff, you know, later in the game. Uh, and yeah, it's one mana. And then you, you know, its ability only costs one mana per turn. And, I mean, everyone's playing green, so there's there's always going to be someone more more lands than you. Or, like, if you're not playing first, just, like, play this in your upkeep or something, <laughs> you know? I think uh, there's a couple lands that, when they come in, they tap for multiple mana, but you have to sacrifice lands to them. So the most recent example being Lotus Field. Mm -hmm. So if you're playing any deck that doesn't have green in it, really, you can get that Lotus Field, sack to your lands, and then you're always going to be behind, so you can just get whatever you want that's true you know? yeah yeah doesn't matter if you point. only have four lands if they all tap for three plus mana mm. yeah yeah this can also be done at instant speed so if someone ramps off turn and you know maybe you didn't have less lands on your own turn and then the green player next to you starts casting their dumb spells you can just be like oh okay now that this is on i'll do that yep <laughs> oh it's, it's on, on. <laughs> so yeah just uh just really awesome I'm a, I'm a big fan of the you know like thieving skydiver type cards in this one that just they do a lot for like not much mana and they, they really mm -hmm. like scale into the late game i'm a big fan of cards like that that do a lot for not much mana you know like ancestral recall and time walk i think i feel like they really scale into the late game yeah i'm talking about creatures motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about normal ass things um yeah, yeah you're, you're talking about cards that are not banned see our last episode i'm talking about cards that were printed in this century I want to bring up, too, that Weathered Wayfarer is cleric type, and that is increasingly more important. One, that's one of the types of party from Zendikar, so if you're running one of those guys. But two, there was that new Zendikar black-white commander who, whenever a cleric you control dies, return one to the battlefield or your hand uh, of a lesser mana cost. It's the battlefield. So, battlefield, yeah. Or, so uh, Weathered Wayfarer gets, gets got. You have a two-mana cleric on the field, and you can bring it back. Like, these types aren't completely irrelevant. Nomad is. But the other one ain't. <laughs> no, yeah, Nomad is. Is that it? Is that all the cards? That's it. It's all my cards. We talked about every single one. Oh, boy. <laughs> I've got a bonus card. Hit me with a bonus. Unfortunately, I was trying to theme everything. Um, so this has been kicked out of my last two chill picks. And that's Chandra's Ignition. It still doesn't come up to the price of Weathered Wayfarer, but a five-mana... Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to all opponents and all other creatures is amazing. It sees play in very few decks considering um, what it should. And the fact it can absolutely murder opponents. I run it in my Okown deck um, where Okown uses quote unquote luck to get a very high uh, power based off coin flips. 
and then tries to obliterate everyone. But being able to destroy the board in red for a low mana cost and deal epic amounts of damage to your opponents is a really, really powerful ability and should go in anything where you have creatures that are routinely 10 mana or, or, or 10 power or above. And that is a lot more than if you look at the EDH rec page. There are very few commanders who run it. Hey, Jeff, can I, can I just hit you with one, one singular word? Two syllables. Of course. In fact. That's counterspell. terrible. <laughs> counterspell. Um, well, that too. That's three syllables. Yeah. In fact, in fact, would be really, really painful with that as well. My second thought was Doomblade. That also doesn't fit the category. <laughs> <laughs> Dungeon's Ignition also doesn't kill your creature. It will kill everything yeah. else, but your creature still stays around. So theoretically, you could just attack after that. Right. Even if you're not trying to completely like destroy your opponents that turn, the fact that it can kill every creature but one, and it's not one of the white um, single combat, I think is a good example, where it's like, a wrath where everyone chooses a creature. This is just your creature. Everything else is gone. So you can get in for that like extra hit. And it's very important, like Julian noted, the fact it's the creature dealing the damage and not the spell itself. This isn't fling. Fling is sacrifice a creature. Fling deals damage equal to. This is the creature itself dealing damage. So things like infect or death touch come into play here very, very um, potently. Lifelink too? Yeah. You're dealing it to every single thing plus all the players. So even if you have a three-power creature, you're gaining a butt-ton of life. Yeah. Excellent honorable mention, Jeff. You know, that's a great way to uh, to beat your local possessed portal player is to just play Challenger's Ignition. The best way to beat your local possessed portal player is uh, up in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say with a stick. <laughs> with a pet. I'm surprised we talked about possessed portal as much as we did. I'm, honestly, I'm happy about it. But uh, anyway, we talked about give or take 12-ish cards. Three apiece, sort of. Um, not true about you, but okay. <laughs> well, that's why I said give or take. You know? Yeah, I the said give or take. Doing some lifting. And 12-ish, three-ish, seven-ish. Yeah, I put like four different qualifiers on my statement. Like, it's fine. Talked about a lot of red cards today. It's hmm, kind of spicy. Anyway, though, all these cards should be seeing more play. They're all cool cards. They're all effective cards, especially in uh, some niche decks if you're trying to get into that. And they're also uh, really good cards for that, that peak edh power level which is right in that middle that middle band of like between five and seven i feel like you know i'm trying to like wrap this up hey I don't guess know what, what? uh we all picked our cards it went great we're done look at that it's wrapped up julian uh where can they find all of our content oh my god so many places <laughs> fuck um <laughs> yeah so you're you're already listening to the podcast so if you like the podcast um please keep listening you can check out our backlog or our forward log depending on what time this is future um uh on things like anchor.fm uh spotify uh apple Podcasts, bunch of other places you can check us out you can also find the podcast on our website hexdrinkers.com uh that's kind of your your go-to hub for all of our content it's got the podcast it's got uh, all the articles that we've been writing uh chev and i just released a uh pdh uh top list for midnight hunt we're gonna have another one coming out specifically about commanders and i'm actually gonna have some deck text coming out soon so check those out and um, we also have videos there um if you want to watch all of our videos plus uh you know see any more that might come you can go on over to youtube uh youtube at hex drinkers or and also see us live on twitch uh twitch at the hex drinkers and then if you want to communicate with us tell us why our picks are either excellent and you're happy that you slide them into your deck uh, or very wrong and you hate possessed portal because it's a horrible card um you can hit us up on our social medias those would be instagram and twitter uh, both at hex drinkers or if you're really feeling it you can send us an email at hex at gmail.com also, we mentioned at the top of the show, we do have a Patreon. That's for all the people who want to support doing us doing what we do. If you feel like you want to toss a coin to your witchers, you can head over to patreon.com slash hexdrinkers. Support us for as little as $1 a cash. You get all sorts of benefits uh, depending on which level you sign up for. One of the most exciting, honestly, in terms of, uh, in my opinion, is you get access to the full uh, uncut podcast. That's the uh, the Zack Snyder's Hex Drinkers podcast, the, uh, the director's cut. You also get access to all of our notes, so things that we might have forgotten to say or just all of our thoughts in a more coherent, not rambly manner, you can get access to all of that so you can kind of see what's going on. Uh, follow along if you want. Uh, as well as a bunch of other perks, um, like potentially even getting your deck featured on this show. That's right, we'll do a whole deck tech. Spruce your deck up, make it all nice and pretty so you can take it out on a date. And don't worry, even if you get the Zack Snyder cut of this podcast, it will not be four hours long and there are no strangely long musical numbers. 
We give you the content well, you need, and we give you all the content <laughs> we need. Unless Julian kind of has one of his moments. Listen, I was going to say we're not we're not done yet, and you don't know what happens on happens on the editing room floor. That's all for me. If you want <laughs> a musical number though, and you subscribe, maybe. I'm not saying no. <laughs> That's true. If you support us at the Hex Guzzlers tier on Patreon, we'll consider a musical number. You know? Me and Chev will send you tapes from our childhood doing uh... <laughs> lip sync. Oh yeah, God. <laughs> Maybe that's too much information. <laughs> <laughs> I might cut that part out. Um, <laughs> keep on keeping on. Keep playing cards in Commander. Keep interacting and enjoying Hex Drinker's content. And for Eric, Oak, and Chev, this has been Jules, and we are signing out.